Hi everyone, Dave Therrien here. This week we're going to bring you a series. It's a five-part series. You'll get to hear a piece every day, Monday through Friday. And it's about the Old Testament story of redemption. Did you know that redemption was actually God's plan way back in the Old Testament, even from the days of creation? And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see the days of creation and work our way through some of the Old Testament principles that we can understand. Wait a minute. Redemption is not something God thought about later. It was always in his mind. The plan was already established. So we're really going to learn. We're really going to grow and see that, you know, the Old Testament is just as vital as the New Testament. We don't want to, you know, um, avoid one and just cling to the other. So we're going to learn the whole counsel of the Word of God. So let's get right into it today and take a look at the days of creation as we learn the study or the story of redemption in the Old Testament. This is the beginning of a series entitled The Story of Redemption in the Old Testament. It's a story about God's desire to establish His presence among humankind. And not only would he establish his presence, but that he would place man in a suitable, beautiful creation. It was a place suitable for man and suitable for Jesus Christ. You know, wherever Jesus goes, the place was perfect. In eternity past, he was in heaven, and it was perfect. In the Garden of Eden, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3.8 that when Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So Jesus walked in the garden. It was perfect. In the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, it will be perfect. There's only one time Jesus was on the earth and it wasn't perfect. And that was during his three-year ministry, actually during his 33 years of life on the earth. Point being, when we're with Christ, we have a lot to look forward to, because it's going to be perfect. So before we look at the creation, the Holy Trinity brought together for us, I want you to note that because it's always been God's intention to dwell with man, the book of Genesis plays out like a divine chess match. And again, what we have is the spiritual warfare between the two kingdoms. If you'll notice in your notes, we have the major events of Genesis. We have the creation of the world, where God went to work. Then we had Adam and Eve, and they were in perfect fellowship with God. But then we had the fall, broken fellowship. Then Cain and Abel, along with many other children, were born, but they were the more prominent ones. We have fellowship again. Cain killed Abel, broken fellowship. Noah came on the scene. He found favor in God's eyes in fellowship with God. But God brought the flood because of wickedness on the earth, broken fellowship. Then we have the table of nations, which is the generations of Noah. Fellowship once again with God. But then they decided to build a tower that led up to heaven, the Tower of Babel. Broken fellowship. And then the Shemites. Fellowship. You can see this chess match. God moves, 
Satan moves. God moves, Satan moves. And that's the way it's been going on. So these are just some of the moves that we're going to see in this cosmic battle. So in order to understand the story of redemption in the Old Testament, it's good to go back to the beginning of the creation. So notice in your Bibles, in Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the word created is the word bara, and it's used only of God creating something from nothing. Only God can take nothing and create something. Man has to have something in order to make it into something else. But God can take nothing and make it into something. That's bara. That's where the creation came from. It came from nothing. And God used nothing to make something. The Latin word is creatio, and I had two years of Latin, you never know it. Creatio ex nihilo, which means no existing or pre-existing material. So there was absolutely nothing, and from nothing, God created everything. Only God can do that. At this time, God also created time and space, if you're following along in your notes. Now, this is important. The story that Moses is giving us, the account of the creation that Moses gives us, is very important because it's countering a false belief that originated in Mesopotamia. In the first civilization, this account is called Enuma Elish. And it goes like this. This was their account of the creation. Shows you how much faith you have to really have. The story describes a cosmic conflict between the leading deities. The young and daring Marduk kills the monstrous Tiamat, mother goddess personifying the primeval ocean. Primeval means before man. Using Tiamat's divided carcass, Marduk creates heaven and earth. From the blood of her conspirator, he and his father created humankind. And the reason they created humankind was to do the hard labor of the universe, leaving the deities free from work. Now again, what is this? This is the belief of people of the first civilization in Mesopotamia. Out of gratitude to Marduk for rescuing them from Tiamat, the gods built for him the city of Babylon, the great capital city. See how quickly Satan moved in the first established civilization Satan begins to move, the divine chess match. Satan cannot create truth. All he can do is distort it. He distorts it and he perverts it. He takes that which is honest and true and he twists it to his own liking. 
as he did in the Garden of Eden. It's the way he works. He said to Eve, has God really said, you shall not eat from that tree? From that tree? He distorts. He twists. He causes doubt on truth. So Moses must counteract this false belief in the creation. So he gives the account of the true creation, which he got as a revelation from God. You know, Moses spent a lot of time with God up on the mountain. I got a feeling he got more than the Ten Commandments. I got a feeling he got a lot of inspiration, especially regarding the creation account. So here's the contrast between the two. The earth was created from nothing, not divided carcasses. That's why Moses said, Barah, from nothing. The word Yasar means to create something from something. But Barah means to create something from nothing. And Moses intentionally, obviously, used that word to counteract the belief of Mesopotamia. Man was created for fellowship, not slave labor. In the story of the first civilization, humankind was created to serve the deities as their slaves. Moses is saying, no, we were, we were created for fellowship, for fellowship with God. So in verse 3, day 1, God created the light. In verse 7, day 2, God separated the sea from the sky. In verse 10, day 3, he brought forth vegetation. And you know what's interesting? Day 1 corresponds to day 4. When God said, let there be light, on day 4, he put in the luminaries, the sun, the moon, the stars. On day 2, when he separated the sky from the oceans, he created the birds and the fish. On day 3, when he created vegetation, day 6, he created the earth creatures. That would what? Eat the vegetation, man included. And then Genesis 2-2, on day 7, he rested. It was a Sabbath rest. So each day corresponds to a matching day. Day 1 to day 4, day 2 to day 5, day 3 to day 6, and then day 7. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he sat back and enjoyed his work. He took pleasure in what he had done. Then God gave a mandate to mankind. In verse 28 of Genesis 1, God blessed them. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. God wanted them to have a family, big family. Fill the earth. Subdue it. That means manage it. Take care of it for me. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky. That simply means that he would have dominance. That man was the ultimate creation, the crown of God's creation. 
and he would have dominance over all other living things. So, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. This demonstrates two things. Number one, humanity was capable of communicating with God and receiving his commandments. Adam had a language. So, you know, I get a kick out of, you know, the intellects when they show the, the, uh, the evolution of man. And, you know, when man finally shed his fur and started to walk upright, he still didn't have a language. It was like, <clears throat> grunts. He grunted. And then, over the billions of years, a few words evolved. And then before you knew it, he could speak languages. But with the creation of Adam, Adam could already speak. Eve could already speak. They had fellowship in the garden. Jesus could speak to Adam and Eve, and they understood him, and they could speak back. What language did they speak? I, I really don't know. We'll have to ask them when we see them. But Adam could speak. And number two, it tells us that humanity was to continue God's creative work in the new world. That as mankind manages the earth, and he's a steward of the world, he can actually improve the earth. But you know what? Satan moves. And what does Satan do? He destroys the earth. He pollutes the earth. He, he, he ruins the surface of the earth. He, he does it in the realm of corporate greed, where corporate greed destroys the rainforest. And corporate greed pollutes the oceans and the rivers. And everything suffers. But you see, corporate greed is a philosophy of the kingdom of darkness. It's not of God. It's of the devil himself. So what's happening is we are failing in the mandate of managing the earth. So in verse 26, after God established a beautiful home for man, sun, moon, stars, fish, animals, plants, everything man needed. Then he created man. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we've got some key words here. God said, let us make man. That's a reference to the Trinity. Us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is involved in the creation process. So there are those that preach God is one, one personality, and sometimes he'll reveal himself as God the Spirit. Other times he'll reveal himself as God the Son. And sometimes he'll reveal himself as God the Father. But he's only one at a time. And you know that's incorrect. Because we have a couple of scenes. For instance, the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus came out of the water after being baptized by John. 
And what does the Bible tell us? A voice came from heaven. That was God the Father. This is my beloved Son. Jesus came out of the water. There he was. And then the Holy Spirit descended down in the form of a dove. So even there we have the three distinct personalities of the Trinity. They are three in one. And here we have them in the creation process as well. So let us make man, speaks of the Trinity. Secondly, let us make man in our image. Image <laughs> means likeness. So why do they put likeness? Because likeness means intellect, emotions. What Moses is saying is that we are like God in our non-physical sense. We're not like God physically, but we are like God in the non-physical aspect of who we are. We have intellect, we have creative abilities, we can invent things, we have emotions, we have, um, what did I say, creative powers. You know, everything that we possess is basically a reflection of what God has. Why? Because we are, or supposedly, we were supposed to be the presence of God on the earth. That was God's intention, that we would be his presence on the earth. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Jehovah God formed the man out of the dust from the ground. Everything else he did, he spoke it. But when he made man, he didn't say, man. He went to work. He got clay. That word dust, it means clay, like silly putty. No wonder we're so funny. We're made out of silly putty. And he took that clay and he formed it. And he, he formed it into a human body. But it was still inanimate. And then he blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. I want you to notice the gentle touch of God. To, to pick up that clay body and just breathe into it, and it came alive. How gentle, how calm, how personal God is. We are a very personal creation to God. Not like the cattle, not like the birds, not like the fish. We are very personal to him. God was very gentle in creating us, and we became a living soul. This is why we live forever. We have the breath of God. The breath of God means that every person is going to live forever. The animals don't have the breath of God. They're a gift to us, and we love them. But when they're gone, they're gone. But we have God's breath, and we live forever. That's why this message or this series, the story of redemption, it's vital. Because it determines where we spend that forever. It's not a matter of will I live forever. That's already established. It's where will I be forever. That's what's important. Where will I spend eternity? Will I spend it in the presence of God? Or will I spend it banished from God.
But the point is, there is redemption for all people. Should they want it? Should they want it? It is there. Now notice in verse 8, Genesis 2. After God made the man, Jehovah God planted a garden in Eden to the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed there. So his home was a garden. I like that. A garden is probably the most tranquil place anybody can spend time. I mean, people even that have little yards like to plant little flowers and decorate it, and they sit out there and enjoy. Enjoy your flowers. Enjoy your gardens. His home was a garden. The word Eden means delight. We could call it the garden of delight. That's what it means. And if you look at your notes, you have a map there of Mesopotamia. And, and God said he planted a garden in Eden to the east. So there's Mesopotamia, and it was probably somewhere in between. You see the Euphrates River to the left and the Tigris River to the right. So the garden could have been somewhere in between those two rivers. That's the best that people can come up with. Okay? And it's believed to be there because Moses, when he wrote this, he was to the west of that area. If you look at your map, you see those two blue fingers sticking up the Red Sea? Right to the top right, if you put a little mark there or a little star, that's where Moses was with the Jews when they came out of Egypt. That's where they were in the wilderness, where Moses was probably scripting the creation account. So you can get a sense of what was going on there in that part of the world. I think it's good to, to try to understand where the Bible takes place. It helps us to, to figure out, you know, like, okay, I can see what's going on. That part of the world seems like it's always been a hot spot. Why is that? Spiritual warfare. It all took place over there. That whole area. The warfare goes on. It's going on from the beginning and it's going to go on all the way to the end. Now, life in the garden was good. There was intimacy between man, the woman, and the Creator. All three. They got along pretty good. Things are great. Adam and Eve, they were enjoying themselves. Jesus would come down at supper time and fellowship with them, spend time together in the garden. It was incredible. Try to, try to fathom that. Just spending time in a beautiful garden. Oh, and by the way, you know, the animals in the garden, they were like, tame. Tame. Tame leopards, tame lions, and tame bears. Tame snakes. Tame raccoons. Tame termites. Everything was tame. Everybody got along beautifully. It was incredible. Some of the most beautiful animals God created, they were the pets of Adam and Eve. So even though they were in a perfect environment and they were enjoying perfect fellowship, there was a subtle possibility of broken relationships. 
there was that possibility that this whole thing could be broken, could be messed up. And here's the lesson that I think not only God wanted Adam and Eve to learn, but he wants us to learn as well. Delights can be satisfying to the soul, but those which God himself has provided and appointed for it signifies delight and pleasure. In other words, only God can provide true delight and true pleasure. And let me say this, only God can provide lasting delight and lasting pleasure. And that would have gone on. Oh, that would have gone on for the longest time. But something happened and it disrupted everything. Wherever Eden was, it had all the desirable conveniences. It had no inconveniences. It was a perfect place. There was no other garden, no other home ever, ever, ever established that could equal the Garden of Eden. No place. Maybe when we get to the Millennial Kingdom, we'll have something similar. Because even in that kingdom, when Jesus comes back, the lion lies down with the lamb. There's no more war. It's a time of peace. It's perfect environment. Things will be good. But I don't know if they'll be as good as they were in the Garden of Eden, the way God established it in the beginning. This garden, it was adorned with every tree pleasant to the sight, enriched with every tree that yielded fruit, satisfying to the taste, and good for food. So apparently Adam and Eve were vegans in the beginning, because animals didn't die. They weren't going to eat their pet lion, or their pet reindeer, their pet rabbit, their pet chickens. So they all ate fruits and vegetables and nuts, and they were very happy. And I'm sure they tasted very good. No pesticides, because there were no pests. I mean, the stuff we buy in the store, how long has that been in a warehouse? You buy an apple, if you didn't know you bought an apple and bit into it, you, didn't, you wouldn't even know what it was. There's no taste. You go to the orchard, get an apple, oh, that's good. That's an apple. But so much food is processed and stored away, we've lost what Adam and Eve had when they ate. Oh, and that's so true, isn't it? Things are not the same today as they were in the Garden of Eden. Well, we couldn't finish the message here on the radio, but I'll tell you what, you can go to our website, go to YouTube, type in New Hope Church, Swansea, click on that big icon with the three crosses, hit playlists, and then hit created playlists, scroll down to the series, the story of redemption in the Old Testament. This is part one, the days of creation. We'll be back next time. We're going to talk about the flood. Oh, why did God bring the flood in the book of Genesis? We'll be talking about that next time right here on New Hope Radio.